I, I was so happily bathing in the applause, I forgot to get up. I was like, oh, now, now I have to do something. <laughs> so it's really great to be back here. This is the third time I've been at, at Vermont Studio Center. And, and um, I don't know, I love it here. It's beautiful. And it's a nice room to read in, too. Thank you for being here. I'm going to read... Uh, I'm going to read a bunch of new poems, and by new, I mean with a few couple of strays. They're both basically from, from like last spring until now. And, um, and I have that thing, which I, I guess I just tend to always say this, which is the thing about being a poet is once you've been a poet for a while, just every few years, there's a new book. It just sort of happens in this sort of organic way. So I've just discovered that happened again. So I think the new book is going to be called That Rat's Death. Um, beautiful title. And, and, and then I'm going to, so I'm going to read some new poems, and then I'm going to read... Um, from this pamphlet, which is in the biennial this year, they've they've included um, writers, which is really cool. So there's like there's a vitrine with David Foster Wallace in it, and Susan Howe has like a beautiful installation, a poetry installation, and um, and one of my publishers, Semiotext, was invited to do something, and so there's like a Semiotext room on the film video floor, and um, and then those of us who are published by that press were asked to like give them little pamphlets. So this is mine. So I'm going to read a little piece of that at the end. Um. To my flowers, why did you just come and die? <laughs> my poems. My poems are so much like the city they couldn't publish them on the train. I guess I'm glad to be back in this relationship. It's not my old phone, but it has the same habits. I just need to be sensitive to what's roiling, really riding under the bitch, mean I'm riding on a train. Nobody knows me, but they like the way my face has changed. If I had a million, I'd be stickering the date that poet dies, thinking when he lived, he was hitting on students, playing barefoot man in the winter in a car. If this is my Valentine, I better also get a treat. There's no news. Whole cities thinking flowers and fruit. I am standing on the platform. A man blows his nose, says I love you. Her boots do. The world is never superfluous. Second Ave is just enough. I should make the announcement. If you have a cell phone, you ought to turn it off. <laughs> this is called After the Season. You can find all the clothes you didn't want on eBay. I wish something would come and clean my bookshelves. I'm just going to write a few minutes. I'm just going to write an hour. I imagine the dogs watching TV for centuries, all those different clothes, doors opening and closing. Why do I want those books? I want other books, nothing turning into moons. The loose seat held down by an ass. The restaurant felt like winter to me. And the waitress said, isn't it great? It feels like spring, the toilet bursting with joy. Hallucinatory Elvis shriveled into a mild lesbian committed to living narrower and more fully till she's seated in a humble cave. I can't erase anything here or change anything. I just want to write a few years. Everyone felt as if they stayed in southern CA. Well, eventually, I would just climb into the library and be a book. I'd be preserved, and you'd come around and live in my home, and my dog would be born again in your eyes in those mountains and hills. I taught in California for five years, and so I feel like I'm still being transformed out of having been that person for a little while. And I had a dog. This has nothing to do with this reading. I had a dog, great pit bull, who died in San Diego. And, and her ghost is sort of in all my poems still, I think. This is called Dream Two. 
I went through this period last spring where I would just wake up like full of dreams and I just wrote them down instantly in the form of a poem. The car had a cover over it and it was over the wheels and it hurt my ass and I couldn't sleep. It seems I should move, go forward now. I was wandering through the jungle anywhere on earth, but I was a woman in bed in New York. And how many people have died in wild places dreaming you were still in bed, would you know? Travel well, I said to my dog when she went on her journey thinking of a cheap movie. I thought this was an urn, turning this was on water, this was flat. But now I see lights between the trees. I see water trickling through stone. This is not made of language, but energy that will stop when I die. The dream dies too, one bolt. Dream. Close to, close to the door in my dream, the small signs, I saw a brown sign with wisdom on it. I saw a brown one leaning with wisdom on it. Fringe of a mirror, my mother leaning over a pond, cupping water leaning against the molding cardboard or wood, which materials do you, does your wisdom prefer? Which apartment in a summer with someone I felt brave to have touched her love, the screen door and the dogs and the cats always getting out? That was the fear, two signs fading but recalling. They had faded like words fade in stone because of the rain and the days and walking and, and waking and the dream is leaving with every step, leaning over the meat because I do not want you to have died in vain kissing the turkey in the neck of my dog. All animals am I, all dreams, all stone, all message am I. It's like when you stop eating meat and then when you start eating meat again, you have to say a little prayer. This is called That Rat's Death. I'm proud I, I'm proud that I fed my avocado to the mice this week. To see that scattered dust around the hole. I felt disappointed the apple had been spared, the throbbing soup, home. He said, it's a storm, it's a storm, I thought. Am I allowed to ask entire questions to take this space alone? You bobbing, you painted in my dog's face so carefully. Some kind of violence stretches the thought so long and allows the horns of words to touch each other. I think of him taking this much space. You don't know about this dish towel, for that matter. Who was I in another time, giving the tales so much puzzled that these spices went someplace else they did today in a sandwich? The empty hall into which I am reading, the empty country, an entire country, I wanted all of them. How I would like just one to pick things up in its cities and its rain, its coast, the outer coat. 78 RPM, silly newspapers turning, cat on a porch in other countries nearby and home ready for me when I have something to say or show. If ever, my empty mistakes, my empty vase, my empty powers of horror, my empty sex. Oh, bring the snow. That rat's death killed me because I would see it for days, over and over, and it hardly could be the same rat whose insides whisked the street. We don't think that war is such an incredible mess, but it was just yesterday in an ancient poems years ago in the past. Dying, the balloon just burst. It cannot bring you back again. The huge cool breath, the lake doesn't want you anymore, or her arms, her sweet muff, or breast, the storm, the past. But no, I won't leave my cheese out for them anymore, and I must be the last person in the world in New York to read him who told us about mice that sing and filled in empty auditoriums like us and our singing hearts, our formula for bringing it out. 
pulling the receptacle apart and watch the tiny ship floating in it, smithereens. I ducked the tail, edging over, taking a little bit more. The price of wider concepts is not choosing your drops, oh, flicking me off, reminding me of you, everything, everyone, yell at once. Two rabbit legs jutting out. I keep my childhood around almost more than everyone, and a mouse can share my house wet toot tootsie. It's kind of great the whole thing is relative. Since I admired his mountains, I imagined I was in his landscapes. But opening packages is occurring all over the place. That's a strong image, and I feel like the smallness is directly rooted, forgetting to use the new calendar I planned. These mocks, I imagined, are the sources, all the milk flooding wildly over the rolling hills and out of the sun's comical eyes. Not tears, but creamy drops of mammalian weather. I'm given real information, and the most difficult part is blindly creating the space where the parts I can't see or even hear spread out like the night in Paris when I walk to the movies, onto my desk and the surrounding hills into the bleaches where everyone is pounding themselves bloody in salute of the hunt. All I ever wanted was dinner, or at least his love, the delight I see in him, is equally empty for anyone, and probably that's his stealth, inner lake. As a car, a maroon, a colorless oval, I can imagine the seats and the hearing and the feeling of hearing a song as we're weaving over hills. There's no break. Everybody I ever saw in my seacoast community is already facing the problems, huge and gloomy, I grant you, and the night spills on my keys, which are splayed over the counter and outside its light. They are flipping their cards, every one of them. I started, um, I started reading Kafka as a, as a late adult um, because I was writing this book about my dog and somebody said, did you read Kafka's mouse story? He's got this story called Josephine the Mouse Singer, which is just an amazing story about a little mouse that just you know, filled mouse auditoriums. And that's just, you know, it's in Kafka's collected stories. And once, you know, it's just kind of, I grew up, like I'm, I'm 64, when I was in college in the late 60s, it was like, everybody was like, walking around with the trial, you know? And it's just like, I just don't want to read that book, you know? And so I just read the trial last year. I read The Wretched of the Earth, Rans Fanon, this year. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of doing the, it's so weird to have like visuals from other parts of your life that you like visit 30 years later as a radical move, you know? But, but the, mice, the mice are totally with me. This is called Hatless. Whenever I didn't know what else to say, I said I loved you. Was it a lie? I'd like my emptiness to protect me now, my belly as a boat, floating doubt. I loved you inside out. And there's, um, I live on East 3rd Street in the East Village, and there's a, um, there's a, new, uh, a new taco place called El Diablito. So every time I'd go in there, I just would start writing a devil poem. So there's a few. <laughs> like this, time, this one, I had a particularly shitty pencil or pen, and so I thought, just make it really ugly. So it's called Prophesy. I'm playing with the devil's cock. It's like a crayon. It's like a fat, burnt crayon. I'm writing a poem with it. I'm writing that down. All that rattling heat in this room, I'm using that. I'm using that tingling rattle, that light in the middle of the room. It's my host. I've always been afraid of you, scared your god and something else. I'm afraid when you're yellow, tawny, white, it's okay. Transparent, cool, you don't look like home. My belly is homeless, flopping over the waist in my pants like an omelet. 
There better be something about feeling fat. What there really is is a lack of emptiness. I'm aiming for some empty feeling. I'm going to get some of that, and then I'll be back. <laughs> so that, that got published in Poetry Magazine, which is then like linked to the internet. So of course somebody tweeted, my belly is homeless like an omelet. <laughs> and then other people were started to like, go to the gym. You know, or somebody, somebody else is like muffin top. And I was like, it's like being abused by your own language. Like, horrible. So this is called My Devil. Before the sky opens and I drop my tiny ladder, I will inhabit the minds of dogs. And try me on for size. I will lean against the side of the building and smoke my blonde smoke. I'll be inside my big car, something happens. That's what I say, there's always a recipe. I will recite my blonde list. I am the negation of you, spells on. They are reeling us in. I want her thoughts, these cattle are mine, the salad's not bad, the devil is turning into everyone. I'm you for a while. Genital itchy, that's me. I'm gonna ruin your corn. It's not such a bad idea. Give me that palm, give me that menu, give me key. I don't need to I don't need to I don't need to come or go. I'm there in your prayer. Mr. President, consider the wish of the tiny child. He is me. Does it taste good or does it look like it tastes good? You don't know. See? This is called what what tree am I waiting? I love trees. I actually started an art review. There was, I walked, when I first started writing art reviews, Art in America sent me, they would send me to a show. They would send me a bunch to, a, to a bunch of shows, and then it was like shopping. I would then decide which shows I wanted to write about, and then I would say, I'd propose some other shows, and, and we'd do this whole yes and no. So I, they sent me to this show, and I walked in, I was like, ugh, you know? And, I, and then, I, then I thought, it was all trees, you know, and I love trees. And so then I thought, I mean, this is like the perversity of a poet becoming an art writer. I thought, I'm only going to write this review if they let me start it with the, the phrase, I love trees, um, which I did, then did, but it was just, it felt like other art writer friends laughed because it was just the stupidest thing they ever saw in an art review. <laughs> you know? I thought, that's great. Oh. What tree am I waiting? That whole part of the world where I won't go anymore, that whole separation that I won't feel high in this house, in this hemisphere, in this artificial light that is artificial in the earliest morning, dark in pages and pens in an unfamiliar bed, in the foot curl furniture, each rumble when morning comes, and it's still morning, and it's still night. I married a dead girl. We were born in her bloom. Remember that fat bumblebee landed on a lamp. I opened the doors, and I forgot, and the house got colder and colder. Where is this house? The seam between boards merely gains my attention. It's dark and thin. I monitor each situation, my bladder growing full. Climb down, climb up. What tree am I waiting? My whole life in weather, waiting for my raft. I'll fly to another island. I'll take a train. Already I know it will hurt. This is the hurt country. I came here to hold the hurt like a bird, like a tree. Traffic has wings. Traffic has rings. We watch it whirl around, damaging our night. Great continents hold the feelings and the ages. What is mine going blind? Great masses of them not going home. The country drew a line because of memory. One said, I feel my heart race ahead. 
In eternity, there is this ache, there is this wakefulness. Summer. <clears throat> Summer. That morning in the light, that television show got born. Remember it in California, every morning a show, and her wife in bed. Do I like her being there? But I have this now, my pride in my telephone, and all my information. Memory. I lost it, that soft ball I threw in my room across many walls because I love toys. It warmed to my grip, became dirty, went splat, and I threw it against the writing on the wall, not hitting it exactly, but with a smile went out the door to rise over golden hills and descend with a family on a tram ride through graves. You irreplaceable, the best thing I had, my passion for you, I hope, will continue summer. September 18th. A great deal was lost by writing, you know. Writing was deplored and led to the loss of memory. I'm building a big fire, and my legs are burning from the electrical one. This pastime of leaning one up on the other is strangely incendiary. If I have a good talk, it stops. We bray our love. He doesn't ring my bell either, we chime. Dave pointed out the donkey in the field, along with the sheep in Ireland country with a donkey in it. Two women on the phone. No more secret messages for you. No more you. Just this open field. Hee-haw. We're in the multitude of breakup poems now. London Exchange. I have utmost respect for you, but in that moment, if I were to get out of your way instead of walking up the stairs to my home, I would have no respect for myself. I didn't know why you couldn't understand this when I told you. Instead, you screamed at me and told me I was rude. And then you said someone of my age should know, meaning that you were adding to my crime the fact that I am older than you. What am I to do? How many days have passed and I have no reason to think that your ancestors were stolen from their home in Africa and because of my not knowing that this is true but thinking that it is possible, it makes me certain that respect next time would be for me to step around. Maybe I could say quietly joining you for a moment and your vast and ancient sorrow, that was my home. still in London. And some of you guys probably heard about, there was like a, a Facebook moment of um, British poets and Northern Irish poets were asked to meet the Queen last spring, and everybody was kind of going on about it because it was like, it's sort of like going to the White House, like, do you go? How do you feel about it? What was it like? You know, and, and who mattered? And who got to read? And, you know. So this is called No Tell. It seems an unimaginable forest. I'm not talking to myself. I'm conducting an extremely intimate exchange with my government. My brash smile means it's okay. Someone's dancing in clogs. It sounds that way, suctiony. I'm not here to confuse the government. What I've got, I share. The rubied surface of deteriorating the rubied surface of deteriorating cities moves me to this. That is what it's doing. I call it note. Note everyone getting off here. I feel like being smart. As soon as I seem stupid, I top it all up. I put on my cap. There are machines all over the place. 
My friend sat behind the queen. Perfectly lucid, but Elizabeth kept going, what the fuck? She wouldn't shut up. Philip and Charles kept going, mother. <laughs> she didn't get the poetry reading. <laughs> and th this last poem is called No Popcorn, and it's for Wayne, Wayne Kastenbaum. He has a book called The 80s, I think. The 80s was when we started talking to machines. Now everything goes well if we give them our absolute trust. Outside the snow is blue. The unwaterproof band-aid waves in the breeze of my handwriting. The tiny sabotage of all the machinery, its and mine, is this. And now a little bit from this. It's, this piece is um, the Whitney one I was talking about. It's called Street Retreat. And, and what it is actually is, um, and I thought it was sort of right for being here too, is that um, I'm like a quasi-semi-Buddhist. And, um, and so there's a group in New York called the, that means I think about meditation more than I do it, but then I do do it. And then I think about doing it with other people and I mostly don't do it, I mostly do it alone. Um, though at some point, like I'm sort of of that St. Mark's, Naropa, language, poetry, world. And so I realized at a certain point, especially going, I, I went to Catholic schools growing up, so I had a religious education. And at some point at Naropa, I thought, I'm at a religious college teaching poetry. And I thought, how weird, because it's sort of embedded in their, their practice is this meditation thing. Um, but also is, is, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like John Cage, a whole school of the avant-garde is so intertwined with Buddhism and Buddhism and the avant-garde in America. So all these things are linked, is I guess what I'm saying. And, um, and so the, 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 um, the New York Sindo, is, has a relationship to Bernie Glassman, who is this guy who in his 70s started a school of American Buddhism that links Buddhism with social activism, which was so great. And so his great project was to do these street retreats in which he would take groups of people and we, to go live in the streets with the homeless. You know, And I'd heard about this for years and thought, what an amazing thing to do. And then a few years ago, it sort of came up for me and I realized I could do this. And so I've, I've done two so far. And um, it's, you know, you, you literally, you raise 500 bucks from your friends, like on Facebook, and then you donate that money as a group to the, um, the places that feed the homeless in New York. And then you, um, and then you go, you meet in Washington Square Park with no money and a driver's license, and you live in the streets for four days. You know, you basically have a retreat in the streets of New York City. And it's so weird, of course, if you live in New York City, or if you live, I live in the East Village, so I would be often, and, and then at least one afternoon, you beg. So I would be standing on St. Mark's Place between 1st and A, right next to the Mogador, the cafe I go to, you know, five times a week, you know, panhandling, you know, and it, it, it was an incredible, you know, it was an amazing, and you know, I've, you know, I've lived, I've observed the homeless so intensely, always in my life in New York, but specifically since the 80s when it seemed like the population really escalated, you know, and so I've seen where they eat, I see where they go, and then to, to, be, to move among them was, was really profound and, and disturbing and not always, you know, I mean, I didn't always like it, obviously, and you know, we didn't sleep in shelters, we, you know, we'd gather cardboard, and, you know, I teach at NYU a little bit, so we were like, the last time I did it, we were like putting our cardboard up against NYU buildings, and then we were thrown out, and I thought, oh, too bad I don't have my, you know, my NYU ID here. I said, Do you have any idea who I am? You know, but we were just these people that had to get the hell out of there. So this is just um, a little bit, sort of the middle to the end of that. It's about, about ten more minutes. I don't want to screw you guys to your seats, but maybe maybe you're having a good time. But thanks for thanks for listening.
There was this curious blending of the life I know and the life I am on now. What's the difference? The accustomed now had a plunging safeness and a constant wariness about the people who surrounded me, whether or not they thought I was one of them. And I, think I'm t I think I'm talking about eating in a um, homeless mission now. Returning to my group always restored me to a third thing. I was floating in the world in between my life and theirs on what felt like a raft. I thought about that phrase, the floating world, referring to prostitution. It fascinated me, the world in between, the invincible place where people go. It was the retreat itself, this security we formed, the sangha. We were like a sub-sangha. People were figuring out ways to make phone calls. Turns out you can just go up to people in Whole Foods and ask them if you can make a call. Sometimes someone will ask if it's local, which is crazy. On a cell phone? What's the difference? I thought I was away. I told Leopoldine, that was my girlfriend, I don't know when I'll call. I don't know if I can call. We were like seven blocks away from where she was at work. I thought of her tenderly. I wanted to be away, but people were calling and I noted that I wasn't them. I brushed my teeth. That's what I wanted to do. I washed my face. We had only been on the street five hours now, but I could feel my rituals and my needs to protect myself from the world kicking in. I travel a lot and often bring home the stupid little soaps. One chain gives you these green leaves of soap. Is it a Weston? I really like them. They remind me of Peter Pan, like a frond of soap. That made me happy. I could bring that. If I look closely at what I do, I'm really crazy. I spend all my time trying to slip myself into a secret fantasy. You made a call, I asked Omri. Yeah, he grinned. People were calling their kids. Scott was this guy who had been in the military. He looked like a guy who could be on the street, a little grizzly. It agreed with him. He kept talking about his day-old beard as if it were unusual, but it looked so normal. His, discomf his discomfort was, was strange. He kept referring to himself as a type A male. I thought, what's a type A male doing on a retreat? <laughs> but he seemed sort of like our warrior. He was energetic and impatient. If we got in a fight, we'd be okay. I bet Ginro, Ginro's the leader, I bet Ginro could talk them out of it. But people like that can get shot, so you're never really safe. Ready, said Ginro. We're going to look for some place to sleep downtown, but first we're going to stop off at a mosque. Really? Walking becomes a different activity when you have no alternative, when you're doing it with a group, when you're not on a schedule, not one that is known to you. And again, it's a city that I've lived in virtually all my life, since my 20s, so what's that? More of me here than anywhere else. It's beautiful. You begin to walk in the nature of it, its grayness, its smearing lights and human traffic, the stops and the waiting, the names of the streets. You look at a street name for a long time that you've looked at before, that you know, but now you're, you stand there liking it. The energy is interesting, too. There's a point in meditation between the breaths that's sometimes described as glowing. Once you have a full chest of air, you stay at that point and feel it circulate in you, and there's a kind of radiance within before you push it down and through. It feels like forever, that pause. From accounts of Auschwitz, I, have had a, I had a sense of how much humans can do if they are forced. And often I've happily dropped the hat over, and often I've, I've happily dropped that hat over difficult activities. This is the enragingness of privilege. Look, I'm walking for hours. I'm lifting things like the people in the camps. Is it possible to be in another time and lifting with them? Is it always only privileged vacation, vacationing? Why not spiritual canvassing, interrogating other pasts for the meaning of what you are doing now that you don't entirely understand? 
I relished the opportunity to be in a hole in my life with a group who were quickly no longer strangers. We were simply walking downtown. We are going to a mosque, Ginro announced. Since I wasn't sure I'd liked him yet, I was intensely examining his hair. White, whiter than mine, with kind of a short shag. I've been told that if you want hair to stand up, you keep it short. So his was kind of curling up in a Warren Beatty shampoo way that I thought was unfortunate. This is me. I'd be surveying what kind of group we looked like, these five men and two women, these six white people and one black woman, these three old people and four young people. I forget to put my own name on a list, Eileen. A mosque? Yeah, and Genro paused in his slightly open-mouthed style that became somewhat charming. I used to go there a lot, he said at one point. I thought about all the points in the life of someone who was a professional spiritual person. I had been in a million poetry scenes, literary ones, queer scenes. You just accumulate these kinds of experiences for years, and they become the blanket of what you know, what you hold yourself in. I'm not sure it's that way for everyone. Years of thinking only reveals that people think quite differently. Tribeca still has the baby doll lounge, where I remember standing with a bunch of poets when I had first come out. I was pontificating on what kind of sex I, a now fully informed lesbian, could be certain that woman on stage liked by watching her dance. But she was working, not showing herself. When I got sober, I had friends who also worked there. Now I see the sign and I remember all the stories. Let there be neon. I always think it's gone. I remember the brief place of honor it had to people like me in the Soho of the 70s. It was what people would show you in a touristy way. There was a great luxury to going into a neon store on West Broadway and seeing little glowing pigs, eyeglasses, and waves. My friend, my friend shot a poetry video there. It was considered so cool. But we weren't cool. I'm sure the early Sohoites hated Let There Be Neon and regarded it as the end of their private neighborhood culture. It was showy. It was kitschy nostalgia. Here it is, says Genro, pulling it open. There was a group of people seated quietly on the floor around a blonde woman sitting on a cushion in a small square hat. She was Sheikha Faria, the imam. It felt a little bit like a talk show. People were sitting close around her, and the most immediate seemed to be discussing a problem or sharing good news. Someone had a baby. Someone finished medical school. The radicalness of there being a female imam was only the beginning of the weirdness here. As time passed, I saw several skinny butches in the same square hats as the men mostly wore. Apparently, this was a mosque that was open to gender drift. The atmosphere was warm. There was tea on tables in the back and small bowls full of almonds and dates. And I dove. In four short hours of being on the street, I had already retreated to the starvation mentality or reality of early sobriety. If there were ever free anything, cookies or coffee at meetings, I chowed down ferociously. Terrified of hunger, and the snacks at the mosque were first rate, and embarrassingly, I kept returning to them like I was poor. Then I sat myself against the wall at the back of the room. I observed my companions doing what we were encouraged to do. Scott was moving around, chatting people up. We were on break, and quickly Ginro was talking to Sheikha Faria. She called his name delightedly when we entered the room, and now they were completing the bargain. Sheikha Faria was queenly. She seemed like a woman from another time. She was royalty, and her reign was very benign. Also, in another way, she seemed unquestionably hip. She was blonde, of an amorphous age, perhaps 50, and resembled a very well-maintained Joni Mitchell. 
If Joni was grand, and she is, isn't she? It was hard to believe watching them that she and Genro had not been lovers, but the feeling in the room was also that everyone was lovers, with her as their queen, but also with each other. This was not the vibe I got when I first stepped into meetings, and I don't know why I kept remembering that cultural moment, but the whole weekend felt like a deepening shift into another reality, and each component of this new existence I was in felt different, and this part, this space, this room was a sweet one. A man introduced himself to me in one of the intervals when I was again up on my hind legs getting more nuts. Hello, is this your first time here? I am C. His name was first unpronounceable to me, but the man was patient, so I felt willing to get it right, and arrived there I did. It's gone now. He told me that he was a professor of engineering at such and such a school. I told him I was a poet, which is always a great way to test the waters. You instantly learn a lot about a person when you tell them that. I love poetry, he replied. Would you tell me some, he asked. I don't think I can do that right now, I replied, but some other time. Sure, of course, he replied. Do you know the poetry of William Butler Yeats? I was in a time when people were constantly asking me this same question. <laughs> I read him again, and I could see why. I'm chiefly a fan of the Crazy Jane poems, I said. Oh, how interesting, C replied. I think poetry is wonderful, because people show their souls so readily in it. And I think it helps other people share theirs. Exactly. Are you a friend of Sheikha Faraya? Have you been here before? No, this is my first time. Oh, you must meet her. Come. I was being dragged up through the crowd to meet Joni Mitchell. <laughs> she was giving closing hugs to a new initiate. There was a bright glow surrounding her, it was true. I wasn't afraid to meet this kind leader, whereas I am generally afraid of authority figures, and as a result, I often act unfriendly. Yes, I'm afraid of them. Sheikha Faria, he, he called her name. I would like you to meet Aline, the poet. Oh, we love poets here, Sheikha Faria said. How did you happen to come to us tonight, Aileen? I'm, I'm part of Genro's group. Genro is a very good old friend. All the roads were being continually, all the roads were continually being stroked. All the connections, all the history, the time that had gone into deepening the connections. Yes, I was part of that. So what kind of poetry are you working on now, Eileen? Do you have any special project? I am working on a book about a dog. A very special dog, I quickly explained. <laughs> Animals are our friends, she smiled. That's important work. The important beings on the planet are not all humans. <laughs> Welcome, Eileen. I'm very glad you are here. And then she went and kissed someone or called their name, and I moved away from her warmth. C smiled at me, and I felt he had done his part, and now I was on my own again. I saw a carpeted staircase. Upstairs, I reasoned, had to be where the bathroom was. After I've eaten, and especially after I've been social, my next impulse is usually to hide. I love the toilet. I didn't really need to go to the bathroom, yet this is the way I run my life. For years, getting out of the classroom of work, even alone in my apartment, drinking enormous amounts of fluid so I can go into the tiny shrine, close the door, and look at myself. Pull my pants down and produce something. Reorganize, return to the source, I step out. It's like rebooting. I could see that the room upstairs, the bathroom was in for, was, was bathroom, the bathroom was in, was for teaching children. Their drawings covered the walls. Tiny furniture sat in the corners, and the floor again was covered with rugs. I could do more than go to the bathroom up here. I could lie down. <laughs> was I sleepy? No, but because I felt welcomed in this space, I decided I could use it however I liked. I had met people. Now I could nap. Or just dream. I needed to be alone. I had to get enough of all that at all times in my life. That was the important thing, to be alone. 
I could hear the sounds of the gathering coming to order downstairs. There was someone who could proud there was someone who would proudly introduce our mother or our whatever they called their female imam. Her voice entered the fray and quietly reminded her voice entered the fray and quiet surrounded her strong, gentle tones. This is the first time I've read this. Is Eileen still here? I imagine her cupping her eyes as if they were too much light. I don't see where Eileen is in the room. We just had a very good exchange about animals, and I have a story I would like to tell her. I jumped off my rug and bolted down the stairs. Good, good. I'm glad you're still with us. You know her, Scott murmured as I sidled up against the wall. No, I just met her tonight. In some of my proudest moments, I just keep looking ahead. I can't stand a direct gaze when I'm proud. I'm afraid they'll see a little proud doll in my eyes. Is that it? Or is a person who has something to be proud of just too greedy to look you in the eye and tell you how marvelous it feels? But she was telling me a story, and I didn't know Scott enough. She was driving down to the city from upstate, and she had gotten to the West Side Highway, and along the guardrail, just sitting there, was a chicken. A big, wondrous chicken. It was a bird that didn't belong on the side of the road, and it was certain to soon meet with destruction. It was just sitting there measuring the flow of traffic, and it was clearly interested in going across, and flying wasn't an option for some reason. Because it was hurt? Chickens, chickens are maybe only capable of short flights. And her mom was about to drive right by the bird, and she knew that there would be a moment when she could probably just reach out and save the bird from what was undeniably great peril. But the moment passed. Have you ever had this feeling? She was asking a room full of humans this, and that was so beautiful to me. There was the possibility for a moment that only she was wounded by this loss of not protecting. There was the possibility for a moment that only she was wounded by this loss of not protecting something from its doom. I didn't do it, for whatever reason. Some other thought passed through my mind, and then the bird decided to go for it. I saw the bird hop down and make it across at least one line of traffic, and then I didn't see that bird anymore. It broke my heart that I was that unconscious, that I could see the thing, but that I didn't act. I couldn't. Yet I was just an animal, just like that bird, and I could have protected him, but I didn't. And I think we can't protect all living things, but we must try, and we will fail. We will fail a great deal. I hope this is some good to you, Eileen. She smiled gently at me. It is. I had an alone moment with her, and I thought, I will come back here some Thursday night. Why not? I could do that. Soon the room was sailing in unison. It was the most beautiful thing, swaying in time with a chant. I think there was some recorded music in the background. It went on for a very long time. I had to be seduced by it. It was all around me like at a sports event or a political action, and I had to succumb, and I became part of the physical wave that filled everyone for, I don't know, maybe half an hour. He swayed and clapped. I did too. I looked around for members of my group, and some of them were, and some weren't. It died down slow. You could see that people would be talking afterwards for a while. Gimro caught each of our eyes. Come on, we've got to find a place to sleep, he smiled. Thank you. Thank you.